We welcome you in to the live program. It is Priority Talk Live, and Greg Davis here with you on this uh, Thursday, uh, which really begins the the Holy Week, um, the last three days of this, uh, a Holy Week as we uh, lead into uh, Good Friday tomorrow, and of course uh, Easter Sunday uh, is approaching very quickly as well. And so uh, we are recognizing uh, Holy Week. We are uh, focusing on the scriptures and focusing on the the uh, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this week. We are uh, avoiding, best we can, um, current events and things that may distract us and uh, things of, of temporal value, although uh, they are very important. Um, this is a week that we have chosen to sort of um, uh, divert our attention from those things to more important things, to the most important things, and uh, those are uh, dealing with, uh, as we say, the uh, our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, his suffering and his resurrection. And so we continue to celebrate that today as a, a Monday Thursday. Some people, uh, of course, um, call it. Some just call it Holy Thursday. Uh, it is a, uh, a, a special day. There's a, a lot in the Gospels that happened on this day, and we're going to try to go through those. We've been um, summarizing from uh, the Thursday before Paso- before um, um, before last Sunday. So we, we've basically been covering the last week, uh, and so we'll continue that today. And this is probably the busiest day of, uh, that we have in the Gospels of Jesus uh, for his entire ministry as far as what we know that um, that he uh, that he did and and spoke and said uh, during these times and so um, some do call this the uh, the these three days observance of Thursday Friday Saturday um, uh, the Trijum of course that's a uh, more popular in the Catholic tradition um, or holy these holy days uh, Monday Thursday Good Friday uh, Holy Saturday of course, at Resurrection Sunday as well, uh, we would uh, emphasize also. So uh, there are different uh, traditions and different, um, you know, faith uh, aspects to this, and so we're we're just we're just trying to uh, be uh, all about Jesus and all about what the Bible has to say, and not get too caught up in those um, the, the different ways that people may celebrate or view or look at uh, these these events. We're trying to um, trying to just go with what the Bible says and what the scriptures tell us that Jesus uh, was about on the and who he was with and where he was on these on these final days of his uh, of his earthly ministry and so that's what we'll do today as well so we're going to get into the scripture uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the places the people the land um, and uh, so if you're interested in that you're going to want to jump on in here with us and be part of it if uh, if you're not so interested in that then uh Bad as I hate to say it, you may can find something that will interest you more. But uh, that's what we're going to do. We're not here to so much entertain. We're not here to uh, uh, to, to score um, you know points or political points or anything like that. We're using the uh, the platform we have to share the gospel message and uh, and the Easter message. And so uh, we'll continue as we did uh, have as we pretty much have all week long. We'll continue with that today. Um, I thought we would begin with just a discussion of Jerusalem, um, the holy city of Jerusalem. Um, in, specifically, let's talk about it in the time of Jesus. Um, it was uh, Jerusalem wasn't the most central 
um, geographic location of Jesus uh, life. We, we do have episodes of Jesus life, mostly this last week. Of course, we have him uh, being dedicated as a, as, a, as a young baby. We have him there at 12 years old, and we have him back and forth some for the feast. But um, it was not a central location in the life of Jesus. Just a really small portion of Jesus' life was spent in Jerusalem, as far as we know. Uh, being born in Bethlehem, growing up in Nazareth, Capernaum, there at the Sea of Galilee, becoming his, his hometown. Um, the greater part of his three years or so of his ministry, his, his preaching, his teaching, and his healing, took place in Galilee. It took place in Samaria. Uh, Jesus spent not a lot of time in his lifetime in Jerusalem or in that region of Judea. Um, the Gospels give us maybe six or seven visits to Jerusalem by Jesus, and we're focusing on this last one, of course, this week. Uh, but um, that doesn't mean he didn't come other times, um, but um, we only have six or seven biblical records of him coming. Of course, as we said, the presentation at the temple as a baby, and uh, we read about that. That's the uh, Simeon episode. Uh, we have him coming at age 12 for what would uh, basically have been known as his bar mitzvah. Uh, early in his ministry in Galilee, he came to Jerusalem for observance of the Passover, and there he challenged the authorities. He cleansed the temple. That was the first time he did that, driving out the money changers and the animals, and that's when he talked to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, we read that whole episode, John 2 and 3. Jesus came again to Jerusalem probably for another Passover when he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. And that is a location that we visit in Israel. was just there two weeks ago, tomorrow, I think, two weeks ago tomorrow. It's a very special place when you begin to consider uh, physical healing. I know uh, we shed some tears there at the pools of Bethesda. Uh, then Jesus came to Jerusalem later in his ministry for the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, there he healed the man born blind, refused to condemn the woman taken in adultery, uh, challenged his enemies who wanted to stone him. Those are John, uh, out of the book of John, AS 7, 8, 9, right through that range. And then there was the, the, uh, the time that Jesus came uh, and uh, when Lazarus was raised from the dead at Bethany doesn't specifically say that he went into the city at that time, into Jerusalem. Bethany's on the opposite side of the Mount of Olives. But we know from other episodes that when he came to Bethany, it, it, it typically was on his way to Jerusalem. Um, the Bible would say that he left Galilee and he set his face toward Jerusalem and the cross. And the, uh, the accounts of the final week in Jerusalem with his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, that's the biggest part of the Gospels. If you want to study the Gospels, you're studying to a great degree uh, this final week. And we've been saying that this week, all week, uh, that that's the truth. And I think you're seeing that and hearing that if you've been listening. Um, and by the way, you can see us. We're, we're broadcasting live at our Facebook page. You can watch our, uh, our live video stream there. Um, so when you tour Jerusalem, um, you're in a city that has three religions and they observe three different holy days, uh, Friday the Muslims, Saturday for the Jews, and Sunday for the, uh, the Christians, the born-again Christians. Um, and so it's an it's a interesting city to be in uh, on a weekend because it is holy days for the three major world religions. Um, so 
just a just a thought about Jerusalem, and of course, uh, everything we're going to talk about today from the gospel accounts happened in and around Jerusalem. But that sort of gives you a, a bigger picture of, of of Jesus. Jesus didn't live in Jerusalem; he wasn't from Jerusalem. He visited Jerusalem. He went there as many people did in his day, Jew, Jewish people. He went for the uh, for the observances of the uh, of the of the Jewish holidays of the worship times he would go to the temple and that's what we find of him is is him uh, going and 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 being uh being a really uh, observant Jew he was now on Thursday uh, we f- we find a lot goes on so we've really got to get after it um, it's um, um, it's the day that we come to the Passover meal uh, you get all the preparations for this. Um, it's um, the day that we get to, um, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane. There's so much that happens here. Jesus uh, begins um, the um, uh, his um, trials. All, all of these things take place. So there's really a lot for us to uh, to get after and to talk about. And uh, so let's let's just sort of begin. Um, there are preparations made for the Passover. In Matthew chapter 26, and again, we're going to share the scripture with you today, okay? Uh, On the first day of the unleavened bread, Matthew 26, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Okay, this is what good Jews would have done. They they would have had the Passover. Of course, they were uh, celebrating, observing the Passover uh, that happened in Egypt. It's, It's a special time. He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near and I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So he tells them who to go to. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. In the morning, Jesus sent Peter and John to oversee uh, the, the, the preparations for the room, which we refer to as the upper room. And when you're there, there is a, uh, in Jerusalem, there is a room you visit uh, that is the upper room. Uh, it's, not a, it's not the place where they uh, had the Passover meal. This, this building, while it's very old, I think it was probably built in the 300 or 400, something like that. It's not um, to the time of Jesus, okay? So you do visit an upper room. It's a special place to think about what happened in an upper room in that area of, of the world, in that area of the city. But it's not the same place. And so Jesus sends Peter and John. And on the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, um, he sends them over. At, um, at noon, all the religious Jews gather at the temple for the sacrifice of the second lamb. Because there were two daily sacrifices of perfect lambs. These were done for the atonement for the sins of the community and for the restoration of fellowship with God. You've got uh, the one known as the perpetual sacrifice or the standing sacrifice, called like a standing order. And uh, it was a standing. It uh, happened every day, twice a day. And uh, it was the morning that took place around 9, and then you had another that took place around 3. And so uh, this was uh, the most important of all the blood sacrifices of the uh, uh, Sinaitic Covenant. And so um, this was very important. So they go. Around noon, they begin to gather. At 3 p.m., the sacrifice of the Passover lamb begins, and that lasts until about 5 p.m. 
Um, it wasn't the Passover sacrifice wasn't mandatory to be attended, but it was um, something that was special. Partaking in the feast that evening was something that was mandatory, but not going to the uh, the sacrifice. And so the Passover lamb was roasted and eaten in the evening and had to be eaten before midnight. This was the Passover uh, meal. It was uh, this yearly observance, as we said, focused on the deliverance from slavery of the Egyptians. Um, and so uh, they, this is what happens. They go, they're there for that, uh, or it happens. We believe maybe they were there, but then they're making preparations for the Passover meal that evening. So uh, let's take a break right there. We'll come back and we'll begin to talk about the evening and the night. And it really picks up, and this is going to be more of the story that you're more familiar with. Um, and uh, if you've got thoughts, questions, comments, uh, some of these are especially meaningful to you, give us a call at 205-941-1011. Greg Davis here. We're not here entertaining. We're here sharing God's Word here on this uh, Holy Week. And uh, we hope that you'll join us and just uh, let the Scriptures and the, uh, the, uh, the activity and the words and the meaning of our Lord Jesus uh, take root deep in your heart. Uh, you can watch us, facebook.com slash priority talk. We've got the live stream going there. We would love for you to join us there as well. 205-941-1011 is our number. Fox Mortgage, NMLS, 184762. Jim Corey, NMLS, 212-055. I just want to talk about my experience with Fox Mortgage. Cordarius Witherspoon is another very happy Fox Mortgage customer. They were able to get us refinanced. We saved about 1.8% on our interest rate, and that saved us thousands of dollars on our monthly mortgage payment. We were able to also do a cash payout on our mortgage with that refinance, and we were able to pay off a lot of debt, so it was great for us. If you're looking to refinance your mortgage, I would highly recommend Fox Mortgage. The people over there at Fox Mortgage, Jody, Dawson, Melody, all of them were persistent in getting the rate that I needed, and they were really helpful. Hi, I'm Jim Corey, president of Fox Mortgage. I'm ready to help you with your mortgage needs. Call now, 661-6868. Fox Mortgage, where we're quick as a fox. Fox Mortgage and President Jim Corey, they create lasting relationships with their clients. Young adults call on Jim for their mortgage needs because their parents enjoyed an excellent mortgage experience maybe years ago. Put Fox Mortgage to work for you. Call Jim and his team at 205-661-6868. They're quick as a fox. Call them at 205-661-6868. And we're back in as we uh, maintain a worshipful spirit this week. Uh, we're not... Uh, talking politics and all that issues and all that. We're just simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ uh, and, uh, and following through God's Word and talking about the, uh, the people, the places, the, the words of Jesus on these final days and then final hours of his life. Um, we were left off moving into the evening time of Thursday, and this would have been the time that Jesus and the disciples uh, gather together to, um, to celebrate the Passover, the Passover meal. He's already told them to prepare, uh, to, find the, to find the room um, and to prepare the meal. And then it tells us in Matthew 26 that when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples. Now, this is in the upper room. I mentioned the upper room um, earlier. Um, 
there, this is a location that uh, that we can visit. It's a uh, kind of a, a two-story uh, building in Jerusalem, where it's a special place to visit. To think about, you're you're where or you're right at the place where Jesus shared the Last Supper, the Passover meal with his disciples. It's located directly above the tomb of David, uh, and also near um, uh, near the uh, Dormition Abbey on Mount Zion. It some people call it the cynical room. It means dining room in Latin. Um, but on the first floor of the building is King David's tomb. I, I don't really think that's where King David is buried, but it's a, uh, it is a tomb, an ancient tomb, and it's um, in the city of David area, and so it's um, a, a place where they recognize the, the death and burial of, of King David. Um, it's, it's a memorial, basically. Um, this, uh, this place, though, where the, uh, where the upper room, where we visit, and, and Jason, you've been there. Uh, it, it's the archaeological tells us that there's four layers here. Um, there's a there's a Roman floor, and there's some uh, Judeo-Christian graffiti there. There's a Byzantine, a Crusader, and then then the present building. And so when you when you see the layers upon one another, it's a good it's a, it's a good evidence that this is some kind of authentic place, and an authentic place of the upper room. So there's really this strong archaeological evidence that this is the location of the uh, of the upper room and therefore the location of the first Christian church because it's in this same location where the Holy Spirit comes. So uh, it's, it's a neat place to be. It really is. So Jesus is there with his disciples uh, in the evening, it tells us, in Matthew 26, and Jesus washes their feet. Not something we do a lot anymore. We don't have feet washing anymore. And Jason, you grew up in a church. It may did did y'all have those? Well, we didn't per se. I, we okay. knew of other churches that did. And yeah. my my grandmother was was a one of the first. She, matter of fact, she was recognized as the first Church of God female evangelist in the state of Alabama mm-hmm. and the first one to have her own church. And they did regularly have those yeah. back during that time. But well, that's what I was thinking. As I was growing up in Church of God, we. We personally, we didn't. I didn't okay. witness that. Okay, I have been a part of of, of feet washing. Uh, I have washed and been washed, and it's much easier to wash than it is to allow yourself to have your feet washed. It really is. It's a very humbling. I thing. can imagine so. Yeah. So Jesus washes their feet. Um, the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot. Now remember, Judas, we talked about this yesterday. He's already taken the thirty pieces of silver. And so the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So our, the, our Lord... Uh, the savior of the world, the God of the universe, the creator of it all, washes his disciples' feet, including the feet of the one who would betray him, who he knew would betray, who had already taken the 30 pieces of silver. Still loved him enough to do it. Mm. That, that's, uh, that's a powerful point. Some of you out there have been, been betrayed. And you have a hard time forgiving. 
and you have a hard time loving the person that may have betrayed you. Maybe it was a spouse, a child, someone at work, or a friend, and they betrayed you. Judas has already betrayed him. He's already taken the 30 pieces. He's already been prompted by the devil. He, he's just looking for the right moment. Jesus knows it. He points it out here in just a few moments. He knows it, and he washes his feet in humility. All right, let's go to break. We'll come back on the other side, and we'll talk more about the Passover meal. I uh, hope you're enjoying us as we recount the scriptures with you here on Holy Week. Of, uh, here on Priority Talk. And tomorrow, don't forget now, tomorrow during the 5 o'clock hour, you're going to hear our conversation from 2012 with attorney Warren Lightfoot as he presents the evidences of the resurrection. He makes our studio a courtroom and presents the evidence, and you be the jury. One Point USA is a security company serving churches and businesses in the state of Alabama. Don't wait until something happens to protect your employees and your valuable property. One Point USA's experienced staff understands your security needs and wants to help you before a problem arises. From video surveillance to card access control and commercial security systems, One Point USA has got you covered. Call One Point USA today at 205-701-0191. That's 205-701-0191 or visit OnePointUSA.com. That's the number OnePointUSA.com. OnePointUSA. Be secure. And we're back in 33 minutes after the hour. And if you're with us on Facebook Live, Jason was just sharing some pretty neat stuff. Um, some of you may have heard that. Share, share that concept with us. It, it, I'd heard that before, but I didn't really know it, Jason. Share it. This is kind of a, a unique perspective, and this is one thing that I, I, I beg my fellow Christians, um, regardless of, of what denomination you consider yourself to be a part of or if you're non-denominational, um, is getting back in touch with the original Hebrew side and, and our brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem our Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, and the secular side of, 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 of reality here, when, when we are not believers as Christians and stuff like that, they usually refer to us in the old Hebrew tongue, which would be the goy or the goyim, mm-hmm. uh, heathens, in other words. Yeah, where, you know, we, I'm we familiar are. with that word. Um, but the people who followed and supported and pitched their tents alongside of the, the, the Jews coming out of Egypt and decided to stand with Israel, you're known as the Gerim. And when you are part of the Gerim, that automatically, again, puts you as part of the commonwealth of Israel. You are a a true brother and or sister to our Jewish brothers and sisters Mm. there in Israel. And that means you stand united in support with them and of them. So when you take on that mantle, it is a brand new responsibility as a believer. And that's it, it's it, it's it, and it's it's an honorable mm-hmm. name to 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 be to to be to, to be saddled with, I guess, or, or to have that label placed upon you. Garim. The, the Garim. If you are part of the Garim, you are a supporter of the of your Jewish brothers and sisters there in Israel. Very interesting. I, I, I like that. Thank you for sharing it. He was sharing it uh, on our Facebook Live during the break. We were talking about it, and I thought some of you might enjoy hearing that as well. Uh, sometimes the best conversations we have are during the break. If you're not on Facebook listening in, I think uh, so. you're missing some of the <laughs> some It's fun. Of the best we, stuff we, we have fun here. That goes on. 
Um, so Jesus has a Thursday evening. He has gathered with his disciples. He's washed their feet. Then they eat the Passover meal. Luke 22 tells us that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's, uh, he knows it's coming. Judas left at that point. Jesus um, tells him he knows who he is. As soon as Judas took the bread during the meal, John 13, Satan, it says, entered him. He was um, possessing the devil, a demon, the demon. And Jesus said, what you're about to do, do quickly. No one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to him. And since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was uh, telling him to go buy what was needed for the feast or to go give money to the poor or something like that. As soon as Judas uh, had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night at this point. It was dark, John 13. And, of course, you've got uh, another version more to that discussion as well in one of the other Gospels. Um, the upper room, the Passover meal. At that point, everyone went out to the garden on a hill across from the city of the Mount of Olives. Now, it's a decent little walk. Um, you know, it's not like just, uh, you know, next door. Uh, they have to walk around the, uh, the city. They're sort of on the southern end of the city, and the garden is over on the east side of the city. And so um, they, uh, they, it's a pretty good, it's a, it's a walk. Excuse me, on the western side. No, 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 no. Let me think. Eastern side. I'm getting yeah, confused. the garden eastern, is on the eastern, eastern side. side. Yeah, yeah, the, the garden is on the, the eastern, eastern side. Gate. That's right. Um, just was, got, north, got it mixed up in my head. Judas went to go find the guards who would arrest Jesus. And then everyone else went to the garden called Gethsemane on the hill across from the city, and it was called the Mount of Olives. Now, I talked about the Mount of Olives um, earlier this week. Uh, it's, it's one of the uh, really, really genuine places that, uh, that you visit when you go to Israel. It, it, is, um, it, it, it is the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the olive trees are still there. Uh, there are some of these uh, trees there that we t Jason and I talked about. They date back 2,000 years. Uh, there's uh, really smart people that are able to go in and they're able to determine that. And so um, the, it's, it's a genuine place. It is a special place. And there is a church built there beside the garden, uh, the Church of All Nations. And you can go in that church. When we were just there a week or two ago, um, they were having a, a mass in there. And so we weren't able to really go in and really look around a lot. But we sort of were able to observe uh, the mass. But it is a, uh, it's a special place to be. There's no doubt about that. Um, you, you're, you're in the place where Jesus cried, as it were, great drops of blood. There is a, a big stone there, a rock or a big stone in the church, sort of at the altar place of the church, which very well could be the very place where Jesus laid and wept and, uh, and, and the place where his will was crushed 
just as the olives were crushed in that place. It's the, the, uh, the olive press. His will was pressed, crushed. And he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. Now, of course, when you watch the Passion of the Christ movie, I saw it on the other night, this is where that movie begins. It begins right there at the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's really neat because um, they're speaking the language of Jesus in the movie. It's got a really genuine feel to it yeah, because Aramaic. of that. Yeah. They're speaking, he's speaking Aramaic. Um, Matthew 26 tells us, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And so that stone really makes sense because the garden, as we look at it now, is, is there, but then the, the rock, the stone in the church, with the church over it, is kind of over here. So it really makes sense as you get there to go, okay, he could have very easily said, Hey, you guys go over there. I'm going over here to pray. And so um, he goes over there to pray. While he's uh, there in the garden, of course, we know what's coming. Uh, Judas had fled, and he had went and gotten the, uh, the ones that he needed to, to, uh, to alert to the location of Jesus. And so he has went, and he has, uh, he's gotten those, and we know that they're, they're coming, and they're coming to arrest him there in the garden of Gethsemane and the place that we now call the Church of All Nations. Um, we, uh, you just can't explain it till you've been there, quite honestly. It's a wonderful place. And it's the fact that Jesus spent his last evening on earth praying in this great agony is, is something very special. Matthew tells us he went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray and then he adds Matthew adds and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee he began to be sorrowful and troubled and then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch with me and going a little farther he went even farther than them he fell on his face and prayed my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will now the cup very emblematic that they had just finished the Passover meal where they would have partaken in the cups and the symbolism that's there. We won't get all into that, but the cup is, is don't, don't let that be lost on you. We learn here from, from Christ, we learn how to overcome temptation because this was a tempting moment for Jesus. He could have left. He could have bailed on the whole plan. He could have turned and went the other direction he, he if he left jerusalem he probably he would have been safe at least for the time being he could have left and went back up to the northern regions of galilee he could have left and went south to the to the to the desert caves he could have went and hid and preserved himself but we learn here how you overcome temptation jesus came to his disciples and found them sleeping and he said to peter so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that not true? The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. He told Peter, you couldn't watch with me an hour? And then he said, here's how you overcome temptation. You watch and you pray. You keep your eyes open. 
you're, you know what's going on around you. You watch where you go. You see who you're with. You know what's going on around you in the world, and you pray. And pray that you don't enter in, into temptation. We learn there. Um, and so he prays twice here. Um, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, but your will be done. And he came back and he found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. He goes and prays again. He leaves again in Matthew 26 and went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same thing again. And then Luke, Luke 22 tells us that there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. To the ground. And it's uh, after this, after this moment, that we realize that uh, Judas is back. Um, that, uh, that Judas now brings uh, the temple guard who were controlled by the high priest and the Sanhedrin. And uh, they, they were different from Roman soldiers. Okay? These were more the religious um, guards, uh, the Jewish guards. They, these, we often think that Jesus was a, you know, we see pictures and images and even sometimes, I guess, maybe films where he's arrested by Roman soldiers. And that's, that's not the way it was. He wasn't arrested by Roman soldiers. He was arrested by the temple guard. And uh, when they came to arrest him, um, the, the Bible tells us that the, uh, the disciples fled. And Jesus looks at Judas and says, friend, do what you came for. And then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Matthew 26, 56, then all the disciples departed and fled. Of course, we have this passage, of course, uh, where Peter does step up and uh, slices off the ear of Malchus. And then Jesus heals him right on the spot. And, and you often wonder, man, just put yourself in the position of these uh, temple guards. They're under the direction of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They're, they're religious people. They're around religion. And, and probably some of the religious, the Sanhedrin are probably with them. And they see this man heal someone's ear, put his ear back on. At some point, would you not think, wow, maybe, we're, maybe we've got this wrong. I've heard about him doing these type things, but now I've seen it with my own eyes. But they don't. No, and they, they, they were led by their own, their, their own anger and rage, so they blinded themselves. And protecting their own system. Oh, of course, absolutely. I, I think that's a big part of it. They were yeah. angry and rage because he was a threat to the religious system. Yes. We talked about that yesterday. He, he was a threat to, uh, to their power. He was a, a threat to their money. He was the threat to the Roman occupiers as well. And a threat to, and a threat to, uh, to Rome because if, uh, if he – we learned through reading the Gospels that if Jesus – they were afraid that he was going to announce publicly that he was a, a messiah – and that the people were going to uprise, and then when they did that, the Romans would have squashed them. Well, even the the local historians that were alive during that time, his contemporaries were reporting the same thing. They what were. was his, uh, Flavius? Flavius Josephus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was, you know, he was quite aware of what was going on yes, there. Yes, he so does. He was very much a threat. Yeah, he was a Roman historian, and he he does report on this as well. You're exactly right, friend. Do what you came to do, and they seized. They stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. 
All right, let's take a break there. We'll come back and we'll begin to go through the journey that Jesus has overnight on this Thursday. He uh, first goes to the former high high priest of Annas, and we'll talk about that when we come back. Fox Mortgage, NMLS, 184-762. Jim Corey, NMLS, 212-055. I just want to talk about my experience with Fox Mortgage. Cordarius Witherspoon is another very happy Fox Mortgage customer. They were able to get us refinance. We saved about 1.8% on our interest rate, and that saved us thousands of dollars on our monthly mortgage payment. We were able to also do a cash payout on our mortgage with that refinance, and we were able to pay off a lot of debt, so it was great for us. If you're looking to refinance your mortgage, I would highly recommend Fox Mortgage. The people over there at Fox Mortgage, Jody, Dawson, Melody, all of them were persistent in getting the rate that I needed, and they were really helpful. Hi, I'm Jim Corey, president of Fox Mortgage. I'm ready to help you with your mortgage needs. Call now, 661-6868. Fox Mortgage, where we're quick as a fox. Fox Mortgage and President Jim Corey, they create lasting relationships with their clients. Young adults call on Jim for their mortgage needs because their parents enjoyed an excellent mortgage experience maybe years ago. Put Fox Mortgage to work for you. Call Jim and his team at 205-661-6868. They're quick as a fox. Call them at 205-661-6868. It's nine minutes till five o'clock. We hope you're doing well today as we continue to work our way through the Holy Week. And uh, here we are on this Thursday when so much happened in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this was the, uh, the day of, uh, of the Passover, the day of his betrayal. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, these, uh, these mockery of, um, of these type of courtroom appearances began to happen. And so um, Jesus has said, let this cup pass for me, of course, the wrath of God, the cup of God. Um, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And then um, Judas, who has been possessed, really, he's by, by Satan, comes and uh, with temple guard and who were under the control of the high priest and the Sanhedrin, they, uh, they come and they uh, arrest Jesus. And he willingly goes, and Jesus is then taken to the former high priest, Annas. Uh, John 18 tells us, Then a detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him, and they brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Uh, Annas had been the high priest previously. And so uh, they bring him here. Um, I I found this pretty interesting. I wanted to sort of just read some of this to you. A great book that I read almost every Easter season. I did the interview many years ago with Stephen Mansfield. Uh, The name of the book is Killing Jesus. It's a wonderful book uh, outlining this final week. And uh, this was written before Bill O'Reilly's book called Killing Jesus. It came out before that. If you're watching on our live video stream, there's the cover. It's sort of the Shroud of Turin. And uh, he says... At this point, they took him across the swirling red waters, then up the incline on the other side. They turned slightly to the south, and finally there were stone steps, and he climbed while they pushed and shouted. 
At the top of a house, protected by a broad courtyard and eager servants, fires burned here and there, and people gathered tightly around them in hopes of burning away the cold. He knew the place. It was the high priest's house. But they weren't taking him to Caiaphas. They were taking him to Caiaphas' father-in-law, Annas, the former high priest, now ruler of the temple markets. It signaled everything to come. It was late in the night. He had been arrested by hundreds of armed men. Yet they did not take him to the Praetorium or to the fortress of Antonia, which we can also visit those places as well there in Jerusalem. We can talk about those. They brought him here to the high priest's house. Even then, they did not take him to the ruling high priest. They took him to Annas, who had no authority over him, but insisted upon seeing the one who had caused so much trouble. This told Jesus all he needed to know. The law would not be observed. This was personal. And what lay ahead was Annas and his vengeful, vengeful schemes. Uh, Annas was now the ruler of the temple markets. And I want to emphasize to you what a big business this was. Um, in the temple market, the men who led Israel, um, there were 71 men of the Sanhedrin. There were 7,000 temple priests. Think about that. 7,000 temple priests who carried out the, diff the various functions, and they rotated around to those. We, we, we just don't comprehend what a big operation this was. There were hundreds of temple guards, countless rabbis, a huge variety of civil authorities. What may be eaten, what may be sold, how far a man may walk, on what days, who a man may marry, how he may bury her when she dies, how a man ought to pray, what his children may inherit, are all decided by this Sanhedrin and its army of ever-squabbling experts. This is the system that is there to be protected. And so this man, the former high priest, now is in charge of this whole system and all the money that went with it and all of those that came and sold and bought in the temple area that Jesus cleansed several times. This was big business, and I think that's something we have to keep in mind. When the time comes, soldiers shove Jesus through the door of the house, wind through several of its rooms, and stop before a 70-year-old man. The two eye each other. Anus, ever cool and precise, speaks first. The guards remain at Jesus' side. Anus asks first about the men who follow Jesus. This is like a taunt. Here Anus is the one who speaks to thousands from mountainsides and who is nearly carried away into the city by masses of pilgrims at the start of the week, as a man much impressed with power, Annas took note. Now, though this self-proclaimed king is bound and alone, Annas had heard from his guards and his servants this evening, perhaps also from Malchus, who had his ear severed, how the men with Jesus had all run. Annas delighted in the snide tale about the naked boy who scampered into the night. What happened, Rabbi? He didn't need the information to help him arrest these men. That would not be difficult for a man with Annas' network of spies. No, what he wanted was a moment to gloat. The enemy who had eluded capture for so long is here, and no one comes to his aid. Tell me, Rabbi, where are these men who hold you in such esteem? Not one is devoted enough to stand to you? 
This is Mansfield. He's, he's sort of using his imagination here. It's interesting. While Jesus stands, his hands tied tightly behind him, and Anna sits smooth and mockingly polite, the question turns to teaching. He has no intention of learning from Jesus. He's a Sadducee. There's nothing a Sadducee does not know. He probes. He feigns interest. He turns a phrase over, asks for an explanation. This goes on for quite some time. Finally, Jesus is no longer willing to accommodate the game. There are laws. Jesus says, I've spoken openly to the world, always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. And I said nothing in secret. Why do you question me? And those who heard me, surely they know what I said. See, Jesus is not asking Annas why uh, Annas doesn't have better information. He's appealing to the mandate of the Sanhedrin's own laws. He's being detained, he's being bound, and he's not yet been charged. Instead, Annas probed for something he can make into a crime. It's backwards. Charge comes first on the testimony of two witnesses, then the questions. But it transgresses the laws of God and man to use the latter in hopes of finding the first. And so, again, Jesus knows all he needs to know at this point. This isn't going to be done the proper way. This is going to be done in a crooked way. He's trying to find something that they can move up the chain before finally getting him in front of Rome. They know what's coming. Both of them know. Um, Anus, he owes Jesus no explanation. He isn't accountable to neither man nor principle. He's the ruler of this land. Kings and priests do his bidding, and he intends to make Jesus pay. The law is a thing one uses to achieve ends. Jesus was costing him. This is what he knows. He would do as he pleases, and he is pleased to end this man's life. Both men see this for what it is. Mansfield says the meeting comes to an end. Just a, a part of the story that we can use our imagination, and, and the scripture, and then our imagination, and see, put ourselves in the, in the feet, in the place of Jesus, and see what was happening here on this Thursday evening as, uh, as we approach Friday morning. Uh, we'll continue the conversation when we come back. Thoughts, questions, comments, 205-941-1011. It's hour number two on Thursday, Priority Talk Live. It's Greg Davis. I'm here with you. Jason's with us as well today. Hope you're uh, having a fine day, a nice day outside. Hope everybody's okay after the uh, strong uh, winds and rain last night. Um, God bless you. Hope everybody's well. And uh, hope you're uh, ready to join us. We are jumping into uh, the Word of God. We're talking about the, uh, the last days and then the hours of Jesus' life. We've really been doing this all week long as we have um, journeyed from really in the life of Jesus. We journeyed from last Thursday, Friday, Saturday being the Sabbath, to Palm Sunday through the first part of the week and all the different teachings that Jesus did and the encounters that he had. And now we have made our way to this uh, Monday, Thursday, as some people call it, and uh, the uh, the day that uh, that Jesus... Uh, would find among his uh, his last as a um, as basically a free man. Uh, it's on this Thursday evening that he is arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane, and of course bound 
and uh, we are taking that journey now. Jesus has uh, gathered with his disciples. Well, they maybe have attended the temple sacrifice, quite possibly. They have uh, gathered in the upper room and uh, partaken in the Passover meal. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, including the feet of the one who would betray him in just a couple of um, of moments, really, and hours. The one who would betray him, Judas Iscariot. He washes his feet, serves him the meal. Judas leaves and goes and finds the ones who would come and and, uh, and seize Jesus and then begin to take him through these uh, mockery of, of, of trials or courtroom settings that we're going to uh, start to, we're going to continue to break these down. Um, but um, we're just following it straight through the scripture. We're reading a lot of the scripture. We're uh, drawing from some different resources as well to tell you about the places. Uh, as we left off last hour, Jesus was arrested. He was brought to uh, Annas, the former high priest. Um, he was brought there. And uh, let's talk a little bit about this because this is a, a, a place that many visit when they are in Jerusalem. It's near the Zion Gate. It's outside the wall. Um, is the uh, It's outside of the, uh, the walls, but near the Zion Gate. And so uh, we find that out in John 18, 24. So after Jesus is arrested, he's first brought before this former high priest. And then he's later taken to the adjacent building or maybe even the same place uh, to the palace of Caiaphas, the current high priest. And then we know he goes on to uh, the Judgment Hall of Pilate, which is also another place that, uh, that we can visit as well. Caiaphas was very jealous of the popularity of Jesus, particularly after he raised Lazarus from the dead. That was a, a, a really a, a breaking point for the Sadducees that something had to be done about this man from Galilee. And so he had made a statement to the priests and the Pharisees, which, uh, which ultimately leads to the crucifixion of Jesus. In John 11, it is expedient for one of us that one man should die for the people. And, of course, um, Caiaphas plays on out into the, New Testament, into the Acts as well, following the resurrection. Caiaphas becomes a major player uh, in this uh, story as it, as it goes forward. If you watch movies like like Risen, have you ever seen that one? Risen, really good, uh, well done. Um, Caiaphas plays a big role in that. If if you uh, most any of the, the the Passion, any of those that cover that, but Risen is really neat. I would encourage you to watch it this weekend. It it picks up following the resurrection, and it's everything that happened after the resurrection to try to cover up the resurrection. It came out, it was in theaters. It was really, really well done. It shows what the early church was going through. Uh, this house of Caiaphas that's there in Jerusalem um, dates back to the 300s. There's really no archaeological evidence to validate that it is the place. Uh, it was a, a residence of a very prominent person during the Roman era. That's what we know of it. And it, and it gives us a good idea of what a residence that someone like the high priest like Caiaphas would have lived at. Um, outside of the house of Caiaphas, okay, the, the traditional spot that, that you can visit, there are stone pavement and steps. 
And these are these steps are what are left of a Roman access road from the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley and up to the gate of the city. And so these are very probable that Jesus, when he was arrested in Gethsemane, would have been brought by the soldiers up this path on their way to deliver him uh, to the house of Caiaphas. So that is a, uh, a very genuine thing that you can see, that this very likely would have been the path that was taken. So after Jesus is uh, before Annas and there's a false testimony and you know, they're basically looking for a way to, uh, to find something to charge him with uh, there. He is then taken to Caiaphas' palace. And there he's tried on, again, the testimony of a false witness. Uh, while he's there, Jesus um, quotes from the Psalms, from a messianic vision that, uh, that Daniel had about the divine Messiah. He quotes uh, what we see as a Psalm uh, 110 and verse 1. The Lord said to, to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so he, he quotes that. Um, we read about much of this in the book of Mark is sort of where I've been focused in on it. Um, it tells us the chief priest and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death but found none. Many bore false witness against him but their testimonies didn't agree. See, and that's another problem with the trials that they're putting him before. They have witnesses that don't agree. That goes against the Jews' own laws. Uh, then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll destroy the temple made with hands, and within three days I'll build another made without hands. But not even their testimony agreed. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And boy, when he said, I am, uh, that was a, a, a threshold that maybe they could not even have predicted that he would have crossed. Um, Jesus has said nothing while people falsely accused him. Those people were condemning themselves. Caiaphas sort of realizes, okay, this isn't going too well. These witnesses are not, they haven't got it together. And, and he says, you heard it. I'm reading right out of Mark chapter 14. Um, are you not even going to answer? And I'm sure he was mocking, pleading. He's wanting something that he can take to Pilate. And again, Jesus stays quiet. He's not obligated to speak. There's no charges. And then Caiaphas continues to press him. He continues to press him. What are these testimonies that men bring against you? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And I can imagine that Jesus maybe still doesn't answer at first. Maybe he doesn't. But eventually, Jesus does say, I am, two words, a statement of truth, and a house of lies. And it is stunning. And anytime you watch these films or these movies about this, this is a moment that stands out. But Jesus, he's not finished. When he says, I am, 
I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. I am. Oh, my goodness. And then he goes on and says, You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And this is what Caiaphas had been waiting for. He tears his clothes. It's an official act. It was blasphemy. A desecration had occurred, according to him. And everything had to come to a stop until this wicked act, these wicked words, were cleansed. A high priest tearing his garments is meant to be a sign of grief, the, the renting of your, of your garments. It is what righteous men do when the holy is touched by the unclean. But had grief filled these men in Caiaphas' house, had they wept and agonized at what a false prophet claimed, had they fallen on their knees and begged for mercy from an offended God, it might have hinted at that they had some true holiness, at least among a few of them. It might have offered some evidence that they were more than criminals in robes. But there was no grief. It was just an act that he put on, an official act. There was no grief. There is no repentance. There's no pleading with God for their nation. Instead, the leaders of Israel, they conduct themselves like mercenaries in rage. They shout that Jesus must die. It's what they had hoped for when they first come up with this conspiracy. And now they begin to spit upon him, blindfold him, and command him to prophesy. And they're relieved that the case is done now. They're furious at what he said. They've got what they need. They strike him. They curse him. They were no different than what the criminals of Rome would do to him. And so this meeting concludes. Men congratulate themselves upon their success, and they feel like they will see this man die yet. And tomorrow they, were, they will go and enlist one called Pilate. And for the rest of the night, Jesus is locked in a jail beneath the high priest's house and uh, there is a place there when you're in the when you're there that you can look down in you've seen it jason that you can look down in and you can see it's it's caiaphas house and it's a yep a, a, it's a hole in the ground basically um yeah like an oubliette there you go that they would have thrown him down in basically and he stays there overnight um many postulate it was probably around 3 a.m when this happens and they now have what they wanted they have jesus they have him in custody they have his own words that they uh, will use against him they don't need false witnesses now they don't need um, lies now they feel like they've got his own words um, these are the the holy actions of jesus and the unholy actions of religious people and quite honestly friends the world has not changed a whole lot don't be proud to be religious religion will send you straight to hell it has religion has sent more people to hell than anything and continues to do so uh, it's relationship. And they had their opportunity to recognize Jesus for who he was, to repent, to uh, to bow. They had their opportunity. 
to grieve over their sin, that they had no interest in doing so. They were more about protecting the religious establishment and, uh, and sort of keeping peace with the Romans. Okay, let's take your phone calls, your thoughts. I know many of you have studied this out over the years. You've got questions. 205-941-1011. I can't think of anything more important that we could do than to talk about this Holy Week and the activities of our Lord. We'll be right back. Fox Mortgage, NMLS, 184-762. Jim Corey, NMLS, 212-055. Six years ago was my opportunity to get the first loan through Fox Mortgage and Jim. He was able to get me a pretty decent rate at the time. And six years later, I'm looking at a refi. Gary talks about his mortgage experience working with Fox Mortgage president, Jim Corey. I was actually with a military-friendly banking institution and was going with them initially. And then I had an issue with trying to track down a VA certificate of eligibility. And I called Jim's office. When I asked him the question, he says, well, any reason you're not going with me again? So I said, well, I, I thought I got the best rate. And he says, well, let me let me check. So he, he checked, and he actually beat the rate that I was currently thinking that it couldn't be beat. So he's a repeat performer. Uh, he's phenomenal in everything he does. He keeps the ball rolling. I can't say enough about how pleasant the experience was. He made everything easy. We went through and closed in less than 30 days. Hi, I'm Jim Corey, president of Fox Mortgage. I'm ready to help you with your mortgage needs. Call now, 661-6868. Fox Mortgage, where we're quick as a fox. Fox Mortgage and President Jim Corey, they create lasting relationships with their clients. Young adults call on Jim for their mortgage needs because their parents enjoyed an excellent mortgage experience maybe years ago. Put Fox Mortgage to work for you. Call Jim and his team at 205-661-6868. They're quick as a fox. Call them at 205-661-6868. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Smalley with Focus on the Family, and you are listening to Greg Davis on Priority Talk. 24 minutes after the hour, Priority Talk Live here on this Holy Week. And uh, we appreciate you guys uh, giving us... uh, room and space to just focus on the scriptures this week to focus on the the words the uh, the deeds the actions of of jesus and uh, his disciples and and those who um, opposed him and so uh we talk about the people the places the time the words and uh it's uh, been a great discussion a great study for me and uh i hope that uh, you're all i hope it's also prompting you to think more deeply about uh, your knowledge and your understanding of what what Jesus uh, went through. Uh, Ken's with us. He calls us from Rimlap. What's going on, Ken? Hey, Greg. This this has been awesome. Yeah, you know, just hearing the detail. And I, I do, I vaguely remember, did we, when I went, did we actually go close to the, where the upper room was? Yes, yes, we went to the upper room, yep. My my head was spinning on that trip. It's like there was so much to see. It's like wow, you know. Yep. Um, we did. It was. Uh, it's right there. The the um, King David's tomb. If you remember that, is sort of in the bottom floor of it, and then it's up. It's an upper. It's up a flight of steps. The room is. But do you remember King's Dave, King David's tomb? I do. I do. I do. Okay, that was the same place then. That's it. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know that, that movie, The Passion. Really, I think he did a really good job on a lot of it, like with the uh, the supernatural, the spiritual part yeah. of it, yeah. the de- demonic possession and stuff that's going on, and 
Clinton was just thought he was having a heyday, like, hey, I got him. You know, he really didn't. But he just, you know, it's just, I can't wait for the second one to come out. But it's just, man, there was so much going on. It's just, you know, just like today, you know, like um, Jesus was telling his disciples, come on, guys. You yeah. know, come on. Yep. What's wrong with y'all? Right. And um, I can only picture that, you know. It just, they, they didn't get it. A lot of times we don't get it, you know. That is so true. Lord help us. <laughs> so true. Lord help Man. us. You're right. And, and they, they didn't do anything different than what we do or don't no, do. No, it, it was the same no. thing. The Religion is religion. Um, it, it might sound a little different or look a little different, but it's the same thing at its core. It's the same thing. Yeah, you're right. Religion is not relationship. Amen. Amen. That's right. Y'all have a good man. All right, Ken. Thank you. Appreciate the phone call. Appreciate the encouragement there. Always good to hear from you. Uh, I'm I'm sort of trying to pace myself here on how much time we have left versus tomorrow. Uh, First hour tomorrow, we will uh, sort of finish this up, and then the second hour of the show tomorrow will be uh, the replay from 2012. We've used it many times over the years with attorney – uh, Warren Lightfoot presenting the evidence of the resurrection. He turned the studio into a courtroom, and you can be the jury. All right, Tony's with us. He's in Gadsden, of course. Hey, Tony, what's going on? Hey, man, this this is truly a priority what we're doing this week. Yes, so this is truly priority talk, and I hope somebody's getting something from it. But uh, the thing that comes to my mind as you were telling it today was. Uh, you know, and explaining that we're not talking about politics or foul cap or whatever is that kind of stuff is temporal, temporary. That's right. But the stuff we're talking about this week is eternal, baby. Yep. The, these were the politics two thousand years ago, so to speak. Um, um, you're right, and 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 it's uh, it's it's eternal. What we're talking about has eternal uh, significance and uh, an eternal perspective. Well. Study of the scripture, it takes me deeper, and it lets me get to know him better. When I get to know him better, I get to trust him better. Amen. And when I get to trust him better, I just want to know him even better. I love y'all, and uh, happy resurrection weekend. Thank you, Tony. We sure do appreciate you, man. Thank you for the phone call. Yes, sir. Good encouragement. We appreciate that. Uh, Look, this isn't popular, what we're doing, and there's not too many people are going to take... basically uh what nine hours of radio and just walk verse by verse passage by passage through the scripture um and 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 look i'm i'm no uh no scholar i'm just uh, studying and reading and sharing and uh, probably haven't got everything just right just perfect but uh but we're just walking through it together and uh he's right this is a true priority um let's move into friday uh, when we come back Uh, Jesus is in the house of Caiaphas. He's uh, held in a, for lack of a better term, a cell, basically, uh, a pit, basically, thrown down into a hole in the ground in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And um, he's held there overnight. And then uh, first thing in the morning, the pace picks back up. And so we'll get into some of that when we come back on the other side. And then tomorrow, we'll sort of move forward in this. We're moving into Friday um, because tomorrow we've got to kind of cover Friday and we've got to cover Sunday with the resurrection. 
Hope everybody is doing so well. Thank you for being with us. It's Priority Talk Live. Greg Davis here with you. Again, we're uh, broadcasting live video here in studio. If you want to check that out, it's on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Priority Talk, our live video stream. Stay with us. This is Greg, and I want to take a moment and tell you about my friends at Alabama Reliable Roofing. They're your local roofing expert. Since 1998, they've provided residential and commercial clients with exceptional roofing services. They've got a professional and experienced team that is well-equipped to provide repairs, insulation of shingles, and even metal roofs all across north-central Alabama. A roof is important. It's one of the major investments of your life and your home or your business or your church, and you need to call a company who you know can handle the job. They've got extensive years of experience, and you can rest assured that they will meet and exceed your expectations. Whether your roof has suffered storm damage and needs repairs, or you just need a new roof installed, or maybe you just need an inspection and know what the next steps are, the professional technicians from Alabama Reliable Roofing can handle the job. Call owner Jeff Harding personally at 205-369-9630. Jeff will personally manage every job. He'll be at your home or your place of business managing the job. 205-369-9630. Talk to Jeff for a no-obligation conversation and a free estimate. It's Alabama Reliable Roofing, 205-369-9630. Okay, our final uh, minutes together will be uh, here until 6 p.m. We're glad you are with us. It is Priority Talk live here on Holy Week, and we're so thankful to have you with us as we work our way through the scriptures. Um, Let me remind you, it is springtime, of course, and uh, we want you to uh, reach out to today's family dentistry to uh, make those springtime dental appointments for the family today's family dentistry and so uh, they can see all of you in the family uh, from the youngest to the oldest dr david lee dr keith tan dr stephanie young they can get you a fresh start for spring by making your dental care appointment today routine cleanings fillings root canals crowns dentures it's where i dentist at and uh, if you need a dentist i hope you'll uh, give them a call make an appointment go check it out 256-739-3337 they, they accept all the insurances, and they, of course, uh, see patients on Friday, which can be very helpful as well. 256-739-3337, downtown Coleman, behind the Coleman County Courthouse. They're just off of Highway 31. Uh, easy to get to, easy trip. Okay, let's let's move on in this progression, and uh, let's begin to talk about um, Pilate. Uh, at dawn on Friday... In the Jerusalem temple, the first lamb of the morning, the Tamid sacrifice, is led out to the altar. And people say these words different ways. So if you've heard it differently, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I I know people say them differently. Um, The high priest made or approved the selection. The, uh, The lamb was inspected for one last time to be certain that it was without fault or blemish, and it had to be visible for three hours prior to the sacrifice so everyone could see its perfection. At dawn on Friday morning, the Jewish authorities at that same time took Jesus to the residence of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And, uh, and this is where the story really becomes so dramatic. Now, when we're in Israel... Um, 
there are places that we visit that um, are, are thought to be uh, this, this praetorium where Jesus would have been before Pilate. Uh, there's a place there where um, we believe it may have been where he was taunted and, and then scourged by the Roman guards. Uh, Pilate's judgment seat was probably right here in this area. There's actually a um, um, some some writing in the in the in the ground there that you can see where perhaps the soldiers played a game uh, casting dice and moving a you know kind of like a hopscotch almost, and you can see it there. Um, it's it's uh, right in that area, and uh, this is where the soldiers uh, were, and this is where they carried out abuse and, and inflicted pain upon uh, those that were brought to them. And so, um, it, here in this area, there is one place, a, a piece of pavement, that is the actual street surface from the day of Jesus. Uh, the stones there have been scored to give a, a corrugated effect and uh, it would to keep the horses from slipping. And so there's just little doubt. This is a spot where there's little doubt that Jesus um, was and, uh, and may have walked over those very stones in this journey that he is on to Calvary. So uh, I, I like to point that out. Uh, and tomorrow we'll get more into the, to the, the stations, the, the, what's called the Via Della Rosa. We'll get more into that tomorrow. Uh, for now, let's, let's go back and kind of focus uh, on Pilate. Um, John 18 tells us that then the Jews led, uh, led Jesus, the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So they, they're observing all the rituals, of course, the religion. They've got to keep it up. The Jewish Sanhedrin uh, didn't have the authority to carry out death. If, if they did, they would have. Under the Roman rule, the Sanhedrin had a lot of authority to manage its own people, to manage the Jews. But they didn't have the authority to, uh, they didn't have the authority to, to, to give out capital punishment. They had to go to the Romans for that. They had to go to the, uh, to the, the local Roman authority, whoever that may be. And at this point, it was, it was Pontius Pilate. He was the one that was there. And, uh, and so this, this appearance with Pontius Pilate, it, it's a clash of gods because Pontius Pilate might as well have been a god in Rome. Um, he hoped he would be a god for sure. Uh, and here you've got a, a country rabbi who rode a colt into the city where this Roman prefect would have rode a stallion into the city. And so that in itself is pretty shocking. Um, Pilate had come in from 60 miles with hundreds of men, enough seasoned warriors to destroy all of Judea. They were coming in for the Passover, coming in to make sure that order was kept, that nothing got out of hand. And as he arrives, he receives word that Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin are coming to him for an affirmation of, of, of their own ruling. They had arrested this, uh, this man just last night. In fact, one of the men's followers had given him, given him up for just a few coins, and they had found this so-called rabbi hiding among olive trees low on the mountain across the Kidron at Gethsemane. 
The Jews asked Pilate for troops to support their temple guard. He sent some. Uh, it was over in a few hours. He'd been told that the Sanhedrin met late into the night, that they interrogated the rebel. They beat him. They ruled that he's a threat. And early this morning, they met again and decided to deliver him up. Pilate had hoped he would not have to get involved, but he would. The Jewish delegation arrives in the praetorium that I was just speaking of with Jesus. They've got him. He's bound. He's badly beaten. It doesn't begin well. This is a holy day to the Jews. This is their Passover. And so they must be particularly careful not to become ceremonially unclean. If they do, it will mean they can't partake in the feast to their God. To even enter a Roman's house, a house with the exotic reputation of Herod's palace, uh, would have excluded them from Passover, to even be around such. Um, I'm sure to Pilate this must have been tiresome um, to, uh, to even have to deal with all this. Um, but um, he was there to do a job, and he hoped he could make quick work of it. He seats himself, sees that a crowd is gathering. He suspects they're curious about the rabbi, and he demands a report. And he asks, what charges are you bringing against this man? And they say, we found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. They really choose their words well. Um, uh, the, the clerics would turn against this man, Pilate, though not so easily controlled. Uh, they, he says, take him yourself, judge him by your own law. And they say, but we don't have the right to execute anyone. We want this man dead, and we want you to do it. You've taken this power from us. You don't allow us to do it, so we want you to do it. So Pilate thinks, I better investigate this a little more. He knows it can't be done right in front of this delegation. He rises from his seat. He walks back to the praetorium. None of the Jews follow him. They won't follow him deeper into there. He sends for Jesus. When the prisoner arrives, Jesus, Pilate doesn't see anything particularly threatening. He already suspects that this man is guilty of no more than getting in the way of Annas's uh, ambitious ambitions. It's, it's an old story. And he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus speaks. Yes, it is as you say. Pilate waits. Silence. Under Roman law, the accused must make a case in his own defense. If he remains silent, his guilt is assumed and sentence is passed. Pilate waits for the impassioned speech to come from Jesus, but nothing comes. He wonders if the man understands. The chief priests have made serious accusations against him, and if he says nothing, it's to guarantee his own death. And he says, Pilate asks him, aren't you going to answer? Don't you see how many things they're accusing you of? Again, silence, as Pilate tries once more. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus speaks, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Are you asking this of me, Jesus basically says, as a Roman? Is this your own idea? If so, you're asking if I'm a rebel. Or did somebody else talk to you about this? Then it was likely a fellow Jew, and what they've told you is that they think I am the Messiah. So Jesus, that's sort of what he was implying. Is this your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? And the answer, it disturbs Pilate. 
he hears the insinuation that he's not his own man, that he's just there doing the bidding of the chief priest. And Pilate asked him, am I a Jew? It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Again, Jesus is not defending himself. He declares who he is in in a different way than what Pilate was looking for. And so then Pilate says, so you are a king. Jesus answers, you are right in saying I am a king. It's unusual this man is to speak so simply in such certain terms. In fact, for this reason I was born, Jesus says, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asked that question that has been uh, reverberated through the ages. It's been preached on and preached on and taught on and pondered and considered. There's no one who's ever lived that hasn't asked this same question that Pilate brings out. When Jesus said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And that's a great question. See, he really was asking the wrong question. The the question really is, who is truth? But he asked, what is truth? And so, what is truth? The rabbi touches the anger, perhaps the disappointment in Pilate's life. Stephen Mansfield, Mansfield says there's a weariness in this. The governor is a man with no faith beyond the one imposed upon him, divinity of the state. He lives in an empire that makes every new god its own, absorbs nations by absorbing their deities. It's made Rome a rolling religious sea, a god for every occasion, an altar for every need, and a priest for every demanding offering. Pilate has seen a man kneel at an altar on the street and beg to be heard, though he does not know which of the many gods to invoke. So the governor um, takes his seat. The crowd waits. He must be thinking, this guy's crazy, this guy's a fanatic, but he's not done anything to deserve death. Is there even truth? Just what was Pilate thinking? He takes his seat. Silence is there. The Sadducee delegation, the priest, they're waiting. They're looking on nervously. They want to know what's going to happen. They want to know what happened inside with this conversation between Jesus and Pilate because they wouldn't go in there. Raising his hand as a sign of authority, Pilate declares, I find nothing to charge this man with. And the people begin to shout, and the priests plead. And then one of their voices rises above the noise. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teachings. He started in Galilee, and he's come all the way here. And Pilate hasn't heard this before, so now he sees a new path. Oh, he's a Galilean. He came from Galilee. Of course, Galilee's to the north. And the Jews confirm this, yeah. They see their mistake. 
Their case is slipping from their hands. It's the way out for Pilate. If this man came from Galilee, then he's under Herod's jurisdiction. He was the prefect in that area. And it just so happens that Herod has come to Jerusalem to sacrifice in the temple. He's already been there three days. Let him decide the case of Jesus. So he passes. Word reaches Herod. This is Herod Antipas. I believe the grandson, if I'm correct, of Herod the Great. And he's delighted with the opportunity. He's closely uh, followed and knows about Jesus. He's not certain who he is. He thinks maybe he's uh, John the baptizer, come back from the dead, or Elijah. Maybe he's one of the prophets. Herod, he's fascinated with uh, magic. Maybe he thinks Jesus will do something. Maybe he'll perform a miracle. So he's pleased with the opportunity to uh, take Pilate off the hook. And they've been at odds anyway. So uh, Herod, when word comes to him, says, bring him on. And the interrogation before Herod and Herod's in his palace is nearly, it's, it's, it's almost a riot. Jesus won't speak. Herod demands some astonishing signs. The chief priests and the teachers shout their accusations. No one can be heard. It's chaos. And finally, in frustration, Herod and his soldiers, they taunt Jesus. They mock him. They dress him in a robe. Like Herod the Great, Herod fears the rise of a true king, destined king of Israel. Remember, it was Herod the Great who had all the babies in Bethlehem slaughtered because of the threat of Jesus that he had picked up from the, uh, the men from the east. Herod returns the prisoner back to Pilate. The cooperation eases feelings between the officials, and um, Pilate just wants to get it to an end. He brings the priests together. You brought this man to me as one who was inciting the people to a rebellion, and I've examined him in your presence. I found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. The man has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him and release him. It's your custom for me to release to you one of the prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? But the priest, they were ready for this. They were prepared. Pilate can shed blood without a thought, but he'll seldom take a righteous stand. And it's no surprise he offers the Passover pardon. It frees him from having the burden of, a, of this hard decision. And so they've got the people ready. And it's almost like they signal, and they begin to chant, no, 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 give us Barabbas. Barabbas. Pilate's dismayed. This is Barabbas. He's a murderer. He's an enemy of the state. But the people have been stirred up by the priest, and now Barabbas must be freed. But there's still the issue of Jesus. Perhaps there is yet some room to maneuver. There's a tactic that Pilate has used before. He would scourge whip, torture the rabbi. And if Pilate's experience is uh, true, the rabbi would emerge so hideously wounded um, that the people would be sufficed. And so that is where 
things move next to the torture. Our final break. We'll be right back. One Point USA is a security company serving churches and businesses in the state of Alabama. Don't wait until something happens to protect your employees and your valuable property. One Point USA's experienced staff understands your security needs and wants to help you before a problem arises. From video surveillance to card access control and commercial security systems, One Point USA has got you covered. Call One Point USA today at 205-701-0191. That's 205-701-0191 or visit OnePointUSA.com. That's the number OnePointUSA.com. OnePointUSA. Be secure. What color is your soul? Pontius Pilate, basically a coward, orders the scourging. He doesn't even really render a judgment. He just does it to try to pacify the people, the mob. Same thing happens now. In fact, he said, I don't see anything to um, sentence this man. But he orders the cruelest form of punishment possible short of death under Roman law. He's fearful. He fears Caesar. He fears the Sanhedrin. He fears the people. And uh, he fears the mob and what they could cost him. Because uh, if this mob breaks out in the city during the Passover, then it would be on his watch, and he would be held responsible by Caesar. And so he's got a, a political problem, and so he makes a political decision. He needs blood to pacify the people. And John 19 tells us, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hell, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him on to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then the Jews came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, That's not good enough. They said, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. Then the Jews answered, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid, more fearful, and he went again to the praetorium, And he talked to Jesus again and said, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. And he said, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said, You have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the the greater sin. And from then on, Paul sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you're no no friend of Caesar. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard this saying, he brought Jesus out and sat him in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. I spoke of that earlier. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? 
And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And then it tells us that he bore his own cross and went to the place called the Skull, Golgotha. And we'll talk about more of that tomorrow. During the first hour of the show, we'll talk more about the cross, Golgotha. Second hour, tomorrow, we will talk about the resurrection. Attorney Warren Lightfoot joined us in 2012, and he gave the evidences of the resurrection. He turned the studio into a courtroom, and he made the presentation, and you get to be the jury tomorrow on Priority Talk. We've replayed this many years on Good Friday, and we're going to continue the tradition tomorrow. Have a great evening, everyone. Keep it worshipful. And tomorrow's Good Friday. Now, was it good for Jesus, the, the earthly man we call Yeshua? Um, but it's Good Friday, and that the penalty, the debt for our sins was paid in full. We'll talk to you again Friday at 4. God bless. So I'm going to